the Ghost Goal Podcast. The Premier League returned this midweek after a two and a half week break, which saw Manchester United go to Burnley and drop points yet again with a 1-1 draw. Meanwhile, Tottenham grabbed a late lead at home to Southampton before giving up two goals themselves to lose 3-2 to the Saints. And to finish things off in the midweek slate of games, Liverpool beat Leicester 2-0 and Arsenal managed a courageous 1-0 win at Wolves, went down to 10 men. Most of these teams are going to suit right up again for this weekend though, as we have crunch fixtures between Man United and Southampton, Spurs and Wolves, and Manchester United with another South Coast club coming to visit them next Tuesday in Brighton. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 344. Javier, like I mentioned, that uh, Arsenal win was very courageous. Would you say that's the uh, the right the right uh, descriptor for that game, or for that performance? Do you want to you just dive into talking about Arsenal immediately here? Uh, no, I'm just, no, you, I mean, no, it's, no. Fresh, it's fresh in your mind. Yeah, like, no, sure, it, it was, of course it was courageous. Last 15 minutes there, down to 10 men. It, uh, it seemed, see, but it, I mean... Arsenal are used to that now. I didn't even bat an eye when we went down to ten men. I was like, "Oh, it wasn't they'll very be fine." Just against Burnley, right? I was like, "They'll be fine." Well, there's no game this this weekend for Arsenal exactly since so. uh, you you would have played Chelsea, but well, we're away. Fair, uh, yeah. So I guess I'll get trying them. to become the champions Arsenal. of the that's world. Fair. I'll so get, get my your takes talk. in now. I'll get my Arsenal talk out of the way. You're right, Alex. Yeah, I mean, I thought that Arsenal played really well in the first half. The first 10 minutes, there wasn't really much from either side. We were just kind of feeling each other out. But the last second 25 minutes of the first half, Arsenal were able to to dominate the ball, get chances. We scored our goal off off of a corner. Arsenal and Wolves were the only two teams in the Premier League who hadn't conceded off a corner yet. And now it is just Arsenal. Um, which is a pretty crazy stat because Arsenal used to concede all the time off of corners, right? So, does that count though? Because wasn't it? It wasn't like directly off the corner. There was like a ball, or was it? It, it does count, yeah, because it was a knockdown oh, okay. and then and then uh, just hit into the in, in in yeah. But it, I mean, it was definitely from the corner. Both teams were missing a key player here. Arsenal were missing Tomiyasu, and Cedric was, you know, not a not a horrible debutante in his place. He was just. Okay, and Chamutinia was missing for Wolves, which I think was a, a bigger miss for them, because as good as Neves was during the game, Wolves weren't able to have that same push offensively and that same threat from the midfield on the ball as you know with that dead donker Neves midfield. It also takes Den donker out of their back line, and it and. They instead have to play like Max Kilman in their back three, who's not terrible, but you know there's like a cascading or domino effect that has on has on the lineup. Just like like if you guys had had Ben White play at right back, it would have I been have the to same. say for Wolves, you know, as well as Arsenal played in the first half, and we should have been up two nil with that lock as that chance and just buried them. Once we got the red card, they they really put us under a lot of pressure and. They could have gotten an equalizer. I mean, Ramsdale didn't really have to do... I mean, he got a few saves this, this game, but he didn't have, like, anything crazy that he had to deal with. But there was a lot of, there was a lot of like, the ball bouncing around in the box that, you know, doesn't necessarily constitute a chance, but there was a lot of, you know, hectic moments in those last and, 10, And again, like, minutes. Leno could have conceded, like, a goal or two in that situation. 
But it didn't happen this time because of Ramsdale's assuredness, because Rob Holding also came on after that red card, and he he came on for 20 minutes. He made nine clearances in 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> he blocked the shot that was goal-bound. He had three uh, tackles. Uh, sorry, three. he won three aerial duels, a tackle. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he was just... He was just monstrous for those 15, 20 minutes, you know, since he came on at that point. And, yeah, just just players like that coming into the team, being able to perform at a high level for 15, 20 minutes, coming in against 10 men and constantly being able to dig in and, and keep clean sheets. Even against Manchester City, I know we lost the game, but... We still didn't like completely collapse in terms of, you know, in times past, if we've gone down to Manchester City, we'd score, we'd score three, four, five goals on us. You know, it took a, a last second winner to, to get that win. So I think Arsenal so far this season, we got to stop these red cards, these stupid, stupid red cards. It was really bizarre in this game, the, the double yellow from, from Oliver. But I mean, honestly, the, both of those cards, both of those were probably yellow card offenses, and it was just really weird the way that he did it. Because normally, if you're yellow carded, you're you're giving a warning and said, you know, that that's it. And then if you do something else, then you can get sent off. But I just I've never seen anything like that. I don't know if they're going to rescind the red card if that's you know, if it was against the rules. I'm not sure what what what's going to happen with all that. But kind of bizarre refereeing from Michael Oliver. And because it was two yellows, VAR couldn't intervene either. So I don't think he like deserved to be sent off for like that one moment of play in the game. You know, I think a yellow and a, and a stern talking to would have been fine. No one would have batted an eye or been like, oh, why didn't Oliver send off Gabrielle there? Uh, well, if that's the case, I'm sure we'll see probably some news tomorrow about you guys like appealing it or something. Could like be. That. But but I mean, I was I was I was happy with pretty much everyone in the team except for Lacazette. You know, he missed a, a, a pretty easy tap-in that would have just easily won the game for us. Um, and obviously, that's an area we need to improve. You know, we brought on Eddie and Ketia again. Pepe wasn't on the bench, so we need more players obviously brought in. It's going to be worrying if Pepe can't make it into this team and, and start making a difference again. I mean, if the Martinelli red card stays, we're not going to lose that much with Emile Smith-Rowe starting. You know, I'm not that worried for for the next game, but if something like this, this just can't keep happening, and it seems to be a pattern, and we're getting away with it sort of right now. <laughs> yeah, you guys have way more red cards than like any other team in the last right. couple of years. It's but, it's a pretty big but if, problem. But, but when you watch Arsenal play, Arsenal are very disciplined. They rarely have fouls. We're we're like 19th or 18th in in fouls in in, in the Premier League table, like in so in the fair play. Makes, that, it's, that just it's makes crazy. it even more indefensible. It's like <laughs> it's like it's it's almost like yeah I, no, but like it, it it's weird and I think it it's a statistical anomaly that's it, it's not it's not a statistical anomaly. It's not a statistical anomaly. It's lasted through the last three managers. It is a problem with your players. I'm not saying it's going to last forever either, but you can't just be like oh this is fluke thing. Like you have idiot players like Jaka in the team who you know didn't get sent off today. But, you know, has had high-profile sendings off before. There's other players in the team that just do dumb shit. You know, like the, the Partey red card after playing for 20 minutes against Liverpool. Just 
some of your players just do make dumb decisions in certain moments. So you've got to try and cut that off as much as possible to try and keep these uh, top four hopes alive. But Alex, I mean, I, I, I told you we'd beat them 1-0. I didn't see where the Wolves goal was going to come from. Do you, do you respect Arsenal defensively now? Do you, do you see, uh, like, why, even without Tomayasu? Because Tomayasu was a huge miss. We still were kept them to, to very few chances and still were, like, Tomas and Xhaka didn't have that great of a game and still we were able to, to create pretty good, decent chance, had the best chances, scored a goals, a goal against a very good team. And I didn't think we were going to score more than one. We could have scored more than one. Had better chances yeah, when, than Chelsea had when I against saw, them. When I saw Trincao in in the lineup, I, I did kind of fear that my one one may not happen. But yeah, I mean, you you got to give Arsenal props, especially when uh, Martinelli went off and you, you knew you guys were going to have to like hunker down for the last twenty minutes to hold on to that this, lead. This team, this team really that's, that's fights that's for impressive. each other, man. Yeah, this team really fights for each other. I think this is the one thing that's been missing in an Ar- in Arsenal teams past is just there's there's no drama queens now in the team there's no massive overpaid players there's no player who isn't like getting paid for what the work that they're doing in the team and that creates a cohesion that creates you know everyone's behind the manager right now there's there's a cohesive idea and even when things go badly people don't panic and shit doesn't hit the fan which in the past even under Wenger like I don't remember when the last time we've had a team that mentally has been this good do you think that's fair uh, well, to say I mean, not really no they haven't done anything <laughs> well all right let's see if they get top four this season you're right yeah you're no, right. no i was about to say like it's it's february <laughs> it's mid-february uh yeah i mean it's a, it's a good result and you know like i said even if you guys had managed to draw in it's this a game huge result we man away it, at wolves if we if we lost this I, I, game, I was going to give you guys us, now we have five I was, points a gap i was going to give you guys props even if wolves scored the equalizer late on and you drew one one i would have said yeah it's disappointing but you know you're you got to draw your you know, at least they didn't jump you so yeah that that kind of you know pushes wolves down a little bit but you know you got to keep that same energy going through these next couple of games including wolves coming back to the emirates in a few weeks and they've shown they can beat you guys there before so well uh, we'll see um let, let's look ahead to the previews to this weekend we'll talk obviously about these midweek fixtures as we go along but this weekend saturday is going to start off with what now looks like a very enticing fixture between manchester united and southampton 7 30 a.m bright and early united are of course coming off that 1-1 draw at burnley that i mentioned uh and Southampton are coming off that huge result uh, away at Tottenham, getting the three-two win. They're they're flying at the moment. So what, what what chance do we give them of continuing this form against not not just te- a team like Tottenham, but you know the home draw with Man City they managed before the international break? They've got a couple of scalps on their on their belt now. That yeah, they're Alpine, not going to be Alpine intimidated going to Old Trafford. Alpine Klopp is back, baby. He's uh, sure he's he's getting his big results again. I mean, I know that you like. You've always liked Tazen Huddle, Alex, and you know the fact I've that we were the fact I've, that we were talking, I've yeah, where we we were strayed. talking about them of possibly being relegation candidates earlier this season, but then they keep getting results like this with the draw against City, like you said, and yeah, this is going to be a fun game. I mean, they're the way that Southampton press, how hard they work on the ball, and and seemingly they get poached a player or two every single window. 
And then they replace those players with, with just as good young talent and, and bring players to the team through their academy as well. So Southampton's I, – I, I like having Southampton in the Premier League. They're a good team to have in the Premier League. They always usually play good football. They don't play, you know, bullshit defensive. And I think United are going to have trouble with them. There, there was a couple of bad years there. You know, the years under like Claude Puel and Mark, Mark Hughes, Hughes for a yeah. bit there. They, they were awful to watch. Um, but yeah, Hassan Hodel, he's had his – his bad like spells of form also. I think he had a 9-0. There was a 9-0 against United last year in the same fixture. But that was from an early red card to uh, to an academy player who was making his debut. And then Southampton just like capitulated from there. It's like a very different run of results for Southampton that, when that happened than you know, the current vein of form they're in. I, I've got to I've got to bring some attention to uh, to my Chelsea boy, Armando Broya. Scored the uh, the first goal for Southampton to equalize one one against Tottenham. He was Tottenham. an animal like they, in that first half. Just he should have had a hat everywhere. Trick. He should have had that. three goals in that first half. It was he was unplayable. I was like, why isn't this guy on Chelsea right now? You guys would be starting him every game if he was on Chelsea right now. Well, I mean, let's put it into context. He's twenty years old. He's he only had one year at Vitesse Arnhem where I think he scored like 15 goals. But that that's a league that you would kind of expect to like Chelsea. Theo like Walcott was banging in double-digit goals in the Premier League when he was like 16 years old, Alex. Come on. You think these guys aren't better than Theo Walcott? Who? Armando Broya? Yeah. I mean, the- Theo Walcott a was different scoring... kind of player. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like Same, same thing with Raheem Sterling, Philippe Coutinho. These players were like in their teens when they were scoring tons of goals in the Premier League. If, if if he's as good as you think he is, then he should be on Chelsea scoring goals well, for you th- that's guys the thing. starting to like I, have, I mean I have to I have to own up. I'm I'm guessing I've said this before because I, I've I've been pretty transparent about this to most people, like you and like some some other friends that I've I've talked to about Chelsea Lonies. Armando Broya of all the Chelsea Lonies was the one that has like defied my expectations the most. Like every time when like he came through to the U23 team when he was 18 no one thought he was going to be great and then he led the the team in scoring then he went out on loan to Vitesse and I thought okay he's probably going to be the backup there if he can get 10 goals I'd, I'd, that'd be really impressive he goes and starts for them and bangs in like 15 and you know scores some really high quality goals as well he gets this loan to Southampton at the beginning of the season, and I think, okay, he's going to be... They, they just spent big money on that Armstrong guy, the one they bought from Blackburn. Uh, and he's now, you know, sort of pushed Armstrong to the bench as a loan player, which is impressive. They spent like $20 million on that guy, and now this 20-year-old kid has come through and just like taken his spot, even though he's not like a permanently signed player. And I don't know how many exactly he has for Southampton this year, but he's, i got to say he's got to have at least like seven, right? Yeah, something I, I think that. six or seven, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So he's defied my expectations. Every time at the beginning of the season I've said I've set an expectation for him, he's blasted through that. So I'm of the mindset, bring him back to Chelsea next season, and you know, maybe he starts out as the, the backup player. But from the, the track record that I'm looking at the last couple of years, he could easily like explode into the squad and, and become Chelsea's center forward. Um I, I mean I'm talking too much about him. It's just to say he's, you know, a very underrated player, and I've been guilty in underrating him. G- going back to this Man United Southampton game, we obviously have to get to the Manchester United side of these things because 
Yeah, pretty pretty much what I what I said what I said was going to happen happened. They started Paul Pogba, McTominay, Fernandez in midfield, Sancho and Rashford in the wings, and then I was saying they sh- I wanted them to start Ronaldo and Cavani, but they didn't. They went with the extra winger and they started Cavani, who mi- who missed a bunch of chances. Bruno Fernandez, Rashford missed chances. Pogba got his goal. You know, it was a well-taken goal. Nice move from United. They looked good in the first half, but then... They also had the one or two half, chalked off yeah, in the they first did. half. And in the second half, like, Pope made a bunch of... Three three really good saves in the first half. United were, were, I mean, really dominating the game, playing well. But then in the second half, it I, I, I don't know what happened. United went flat. Like, they seem to do this in large parts of games where they just don't keep up the energy they can only do the work for portions of the game and they understand you know their positions and pressing and 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 their attack usually at the beginning when they've been given their instructions but like once they start playing the game for a while they just like seem to forget it and in the second half Burnley outplayed them i mean the possession was like 70 you know 30 in the first half and by the end of the 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 game it was 65 35 like they massively improved their possession and they were able to get a goal get draw out a save from De Gea you know Weghorst that played a lot better in that second half he looks like he's a great player you know they're not going to miss that much Chris Wood when Weghorst is in the side and yeah do you, do you like how you like that call where I said Weghorst is like better with the ball at his feet than Chris Wood. The way he split the the two United defenders and then threaded that ball through for uh, who was it? That Jay scored? Rodriguez, yeah. Jay oh, Rodriguez, that was really, right. really nice. When he threaded yeah. that through. That was that's exactly what I'm talking about. He's not just a big a big fuck who's going to get on the end of some uh, aerial balls, which you know he will still do that, and that's going to be a big threat for United in this in uh, this game. Or sorry, not United. Uh, they're playing Liverpool. I'm thinking of the going back to the Southampton game. I'm a little worried for United in that this is a different test. They're obviously at home for it against Southampton, but I still don't see a ton of players on this United side that are going to be willing to, you know, take the responsibility of of playing the ball out from the back and not not succumb to the pressure. Southampton are going to be able to get to them. Like I don't care if you have Pogba back there to, you know, uh, like knit things together a bit more neatly. He's going to make mistakes, and Maguire, if they start him, is going to make mistakes. So I'm thinking United, they, they might do well to to get out of this one with a draw, and then maybe focus on that Brighton home game next week. On uh, Tuesday, they'll play Brighton at home. These are two tough games against two teams that you know kind of similarly are good enough in possession, but can press you high up the field as well. And it's it's not an easy thing for United to deal with at the moment. So what 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 would you say out of these next two games for United would constitute you still thinking of them as being in the the top 4 race? They're obviously in it points wise, but like if they get 4 points in these next two games against Southampton and Brighton, yeah, I, think you're, they, you're, I think they still need yeah, they but I think they probably need 6 points. But, but they can't lose. They definitely can't lose. Yeah, but so I'm going to say they need 6 points from these two games. I think four would be. I mean, it wouldn't be great, but it would. It yeah, would keep I think them in they it. need six points. It's two home games versus teams. It's two home games bottom, against very tough teams. Bottom half of the table teams. Are Brighton where, in the bottom half at the moment? 
Maybe not. Maybe no, Bright- Bright- Brighton are in, Brighton are ninth and Southampton are tenth. They're both top half. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, they're they're decent teams. Maybe maybe four points would be decent. But I mean, Arsenal beat both of these teams. I guess we drew Brighton, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you beat Southampton at home, but that they weren't playing as well then. Right. So I guess yeah, four points would probably be a good result. Okay. What's going to be your prediction for this? I'm going to say one-one for Manchester United Southampton, and then. 2-0 United over Brighton. Okay, I'm going to say 2-1 Manchester United. Against Southampton? For South, the Southampton game. That's the Saturday 7.30 the, game. Yeah, and then the Brighton game on Tuesday, I think they draw that 1-1. And that, I think the Brighton game is the slightly tougher of the two. I know, obviously, Southampton are in good form, but I feel like United are, you know, after that Burnley result, they're going to be that much more anxious to to get a win and then they kind of fall back asleep again for that that Brighton game on Tuesday. Well, I think the bigger game for Brighton is that the Watford game that they have again on Saturday because that's a fellow, you know, Brighton are still a relegation candidate, so you know, like they're they're, they're ultimately still going to try to stay up. Like that's their goal this season. It, it is every year. They're not trying to get Europe and you know, they're they need to beat Watford and keep them down. So, Yeah, that's going to be a part of the Saturday 10 a.m. slate of games. Uh, the other games in that uh, grouping will be Brentford, Crystal Palace, Everton, Leeds, and of course, Watford, Brighton. Uh, do we want to give a mention to uh, Everton, Leeds? Uh, Everton in Frank Lampard's Premier League debut lost 3-1 at Newcastle. Yeah, Did you get I to do. watch that one, and are you a little I, worried about that one? I do. Uh, no, so, you know, I think this Everton leads... Everton are going to be a different side under Frank. It's it's obvious that he has them set up to be more attacking. They went to St. James Park, and, I mean, I, I, I did... Remember, I, I was calling for a draw, and then I changed my mind, and I switched to Newcastle win. And a lot of the reasons why I said that could happen, you know, Target and, and Trippier were the were the wingbacks. You know, they were, they were able to... Gimaraish really didn't play a part at all, but you know they were able to create a bunch of chances. Ryan Fraser played really well. You know, having two big players like it was Joe Ellington, yeah, Joe Ellington <laughs> and Chris Wood up top to hold up the ball and and feed Sam Maximan. Like it didn't really matter what Everton did defensively; they always looked like they were going to be under pressure, even even though they were playing five at the back. And I think playing a player like Andros Townsend as your wing back. It's a little risky from Frank and Yeah, it, that was a strange move. Game. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 Leeds game, I know they're hosting Leeds and Goodison Park where there was a good atmosphere for that FA Cup game against Brentford last weekend when they they scored four and and went through and we called for that Villa Leeds game. game to have a bunch of goals and yeah, but three, I, three. I'm a little worried that Frank might start this uh, this Everton spell out with two losses because Leeds look like a really confident, uh, well knitted team at the moment. Like I, I know they gave up like three goals in not so much time in that that Aston Villa game, but at no point did those players look like they they thought they were completely out of it and they got a goal right before halftime and then got the 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 equalizer midway through the second. So if Leeds keep that same energy up, I'm a little worried for Everton. Hopefully Frank doesn't make that same mistake again with uh, Andrews Townsend at left wing back. And, and 
you know, maybe maybe gives Mikolenko, the Ukrainian left back they just signed, gives him another chance there. Uh, I'm going to say a 2-2 draw in that Everton-Leeds game. It's probably the the, the pick of the, the 10 a.m. time slot that I just mentioned. Ah, Do you, you have a prediction score, for that? You took Alex. Yeah, I'll, I'll say 2-1 Leeds, actually. I, I, I mean, you were the one who were saying that they were going to lose, so I'm going to say 2-1 Leeds in that. I'm said, I said I'm worried for it. If they get a draw here, I think that's a, that's a decent result uh, for Everton. Uh, moving on to the last game of Saturday, Norwich hosting Manchester City. Norwich have started to pick their form up a little bit, but I don't think there's anyone uh, <laughs> claiming that they're going to be able to hold off Manchester City. Yeah, 4-0 City. <laughs> uh, I'll see 3-1 Manchester City. Sunday will start off with three games, all kicking off at 9 a.m. Uh, Burnley will host Liverpool uh, in the bid to try and get themselves out of the relegation zone. Liverpool just beat Leicester 2-0, uh, two goals from Diogo Schota. Any chance that they slip up here? I, I don't really think so, even with Burnley getting like two decent results against you guys and, and, and United in the last two games. No, I think they'll have a, a fresh-ish Salah and Mane, and Jota's on fantastic form Luis Diaz had a nice Premier League debut yeah I don't think I don't think that looked very bright much much of a problem against a Burnley team who although stout defensively haven't really been up against this type of world-class attacking talent that Liverpool have and I think while they've been able to keep teams like Manchester United and Arsenal out for the most part, you know, they're not going to be able to to do the same here. So I'm going to say they put up a valiant effort, but lose 2-0. I'll say 3-1 Liverpool for that one. Also at 9 a.m., Newcastle will host Aston Villa. The aforementioned uh, Matt Target, the left back that Newcastle have on loan from Aston Villa, won't be able to play in this one. Does that affect your, uh, your score prediction at all here? Not that you need to make one, but... No, uh, I... But I think this should be a good one because Newcastle are kind of a team on on up form now that they've you know brought in their players. They got a, a their first you know big they got they got a big home win there and Villa as well. You know they've been resurgent under Steven Gerrard and I I actually really like Gerrard as a manager. I think he uh, he talks a lot of sense and uh, he talks about tactics a lot and his philosophy and what he's trying to transmit to the players. And it's, 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 it's pretty refreshing to see a young manager who's just starting his first big job like this. And he's, you know, I guess, I guess actually that's not true. Rangers is a, is a big job as well, but um, you know, he's his first Premier League job. Yeah. His first Premier League job. And he's, he's taken it by the scruff of the neck and given Villa an identity and brought big players into the team and, and, and made them work. And, you know, I think he changed the biggest problem for me, which was that the managers that were playing a Villa kept playing two strikers, and this team didn't need that. It needed more. its wingers more. It needed midfield more midfielders, and they've looked so much stronger when they've gone to that depth. I mean, Jacob Ramsey, he's going to be playing for England at some point because he is so good. He's, what, 19, 20 years old, and he's just so electric, so much energy on the ball, great absolute rocket of a boot you know makes such good decisions decision making is so good you almost never see that kid give away the ball and 
for someone so young, you know, he's a hell of a player that Aston Villa have there. Having said that, I think it's going to be a fun game too, um, and I'm going to say 2-2. I'm going to say 2-1 Aston Villa. Newcastle are definitely, you know, they're, they're, they're alive still to, to get out of the relegation zone with, with the performance that they had against Everton. I, I'm sure they could even pull out a pretty good performance here against Villa, but I actually don't think Gerrard's changed too much other than what you mentioned about Villa. He's kind of kept the same identity as them being a counter-attacking side. They're just better at it now with Coutinho, uh, you know, being the, the, the X factor of sorts, the Bruno Fernandez to their, to, for Villa. Like that's that same sort of role. Um, that extra little bit of class that they needed just to pick a pass like he did for the, the second Jacob Ramsey goal for uh, Leeds. So I, I think that counterattacking threat's going to be too much for Newcastle. Um, because they're going to be looking to hunt for wins in all of these home games. It's the best chance they have. Uh, and it, it's not going to matter who their opponent is. These home games at St. James's Park, they're going to be a lot more open than you'll see them when they're away from home. So that that plays into Villa's hands, and I think they'll, they'll get the win. Uh, but the other 9 a.m. game, which I think is, frankly, the, the biggest Premier League game of the weekend, is Spurs versus Wolves. 9 a.m. also... Spurs are, of course, coming off the 3-2 loss to Southampton we previously mentioned. Uh, Wolves are coming off that loss to Arsenal. They are both uh, still just outside of the, uh, the the top four race. Spurs in seventh place right now on 36 points, three points Alex, behind Arsenal and Manchester Alex, United. I know this is a big game. I feel like this has nil-nil written all over it. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. Even after the two five teams, goals in the Tottenham game? 100%. Two teams that just played in the midweek. They're not going to be like 100% fully at full energy. Neither team is going to want to lose this. Um, Wolves are going to be away from home. have got plenty of time to rest up, though. It's on Sunday. Also, two, two, like two, Conte's come in and tried to make Spurs more defensive while Lodge has kept that defensive identity and... You know they're so hard to break down. I think both of these teams are just going to stifle each other, and it's going to be like nil nil. But having said that, I also uh, I think it's going to be hard for Wolves to score on Tottenham. You know I know Tottenham defensively. Did you see good Tottenham against, defending? <laughs> yeah, I mean if they have Moutinho back though, maybe not. Maybe they will. They will score on them. But I mean they 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 tried starting Romero this time and it. That was an experiment that didn't work. I, I, Romero doesn't look good in a three at the back. He seems much more comfortable in a four at the back. Well, he is comfortable in a, in a three. He was playing in a three at Atalanta for years. I think it's just because that was his first game back under Conte, for sure, in the Premier League. Uh, and, you know, he hadn't, hadn't played in a pretty long time. So maybe give it some time. I, I personally think the Ben Davies playing at left center back is a far bigger uh, like problem area for for uh, for Tottenham and Emerson Royale at right wing back. Yeah, he may give them a bit more of like an attacking push on that right side, but defensively he is he's brain dead. Let me let me read to you some of these stats from the game against Southampton. And this Tottenham were at home, by the way. So this is this is very worrying to me. Th- this one's also at home. Fan, so. 47.7% possession for Tottenham, 52.3% for Southampton. So Southampton outpossessed them. Three shots on target from Tottenham, 10 from Southampton. Eight shots total from South from Tottenham in the game, 23 from Southampton. Like, it, it goes on and on and on, but... 
eight corners from Southampton, two from Tottenham. I mean, this is at home against a a, a, a relegation side. You know, they're not obviously not probably not going to get relegated now after these these last few results, but just kind of mind-boggling from Tottenham, a team that still hadn't lost in the Premier League that was on a, you know, pretty good run of form, but then just of late it's two I, losses I, in a row now. Two losses in a row. Yeah, what what do you think? There's still improvements to be made. I think I think that right side I mentioned with uh, Emerson Royale, there, there's not really anything they I can do to improve you're on that. Davis but, and, and Dyer, but but the midfield, catch up to they, you. they can improve the midfield. They started Winks and Hoiberg in that Southampton game. Bentancur came on in the 60th minute, and yes, they went on to concede those those two late goals to to lose. But you got you got to think if maybe they start Bentancur and Hoiberg from the very beginning. You know, with that that same front three, Mora, Son, and Kane is still, I, I think, their best option as, as a front three with, you know, Bergwijn coming on late and almost had the equalizer before it got ruled out for offside. He, he's still a threat off the bench. Uh, if they get that midfield sorted and they can improve defending in transition when they do give the ball away, then yeah, maybe they could pull off a win here. But I'm, I'm thinking maybe like a 1-1. I think there's still going to be goals and it'll be tight, but yeah, I can't really separate either of these sides either, but a, a draw doesn't really do either of these teams much good when it comes to like hunting for top four. So I don't know, maybe that dynamic in and of itself opens the game up and forces the teams to attack a bit more, but yeah, I'll stick with one, one. So the weekend fixtures will close out with Leicester hosting West Ham Sunday at 11 AM. I don't think we mentioned it, when we did the previews, I can't even remember when it first happened, but what did you make of this whole Kurt Zuma kicking his cat situation and them and West Ham starting him like the very next day in that win over Watford? Well, I mean, West Ham are within their right to make that decision, but now they're good. They're reaping the consequences of it. There's multiple sponsors of theirs that have already pulled out. Because they played Zuma after, you know, those videos came out and more and more of them are starting to question their partnership with West Ham. You know, there's, they're getting a lot of public backlash right now. So obviously what Zuma did is despicable. The club has said that they're finding him two weeks wages. You know, they're not suspending him or anything. So, you know, it's it's it doesn't look good for West Ham. This whole this whole thing has has really the way that they've handled it, you know, with with players saying things in the media, you know, they've been asked questions and then they've responded in, in weird ways. Uh, Mikel Antonio about talked Antonio? about yeah, Antonio talked about racism. I, I actually kind of I actually kind of agreed with him. Where he when I when I watched the clip, it's not like a long clip. He was just in his car driving into training and stopped and talked to the media, and he was just hanging out the side of his car and. And said, like, there are guys who have, you know, been accused of being racist, you know, like Luis Suarez. He's an example. Uh, there's guys who have been charged with and served sentences for rape, like Chet Evans years ago. And that guy, David Goodwillie, who uh, was just, uh, I forget the name, I think it was Wraith, Wraith uh, Rovers. It was like a, a team, I think, in Scotland that signed him and a bunch of their staff and their, their women's team players like pulled out of the club saying that they wouldn't stand by it. These are obviously separate incidents, 
But what the, the thing that I think he was trying to say is that there are people who have done despicable things that are, you know, depending on you as an individual person, like where they fall on the scale of heinous things you can do and come back from, they all vary compared to, you know, animal abuse. But the, the matter of the fact is a lot of those people still come back and play. So I don't exactly. Yeah, I, I, I don't think what I'm saying is he should have just made no comment. The West Ham just have not handled it well. They haven't, you know, they're, they're like I said, they're they were. There's no good way to handle it. There was no good way to handle it. There was. I think they could have suspended Zuma, not played him and find him. And then they did probably him. would. Yes. But if they hadn't played him that game specifically, people would have probably been okay with the punishment but because they did play him immediately and then retroactively announced a fine people aren't accepting it as it's enough from the club but it is what it is and i'm sure he's probably going to play here uh against leicester and i'm sure this this should be a fun game it's a pretty big game leicester still probably have some dreams of getting a european place if they can put together a, a second half of the season run but their team has changed a lot. That team that played against Liverpool, it, it, it looked very, very different from the team we were seeing earlier in the season. You know, Pats and Daka starting. Vardy's not near the team. Mark Albright Var- was Vardy's playing. Bubakar, Sumare, Ndidi and Mendy were starting at center back. Uh, Amarte. Amarte. It was the same thing The same thing we talked about with uh, when Leicester got the win. They had to play Amarte and Ndidi as the center backs, and they managed to beat Liverpool when it was the, the home leg of this. Uh, but this time, you know, they, they just, it was, like you said, it was at Anfield. They weren't going to be able to keep a clean sheet with those two again. And on the counterattack, they didn't, they didn't threaten nearly enough. So good to it, see uh, James Justin of, back though. Kind of odd. Uh, Thielman's not starting in this game. Yeah. Maybe they had an eye towards this, uh, the, the, the West Ham game, but I mean, that's it what, looks like they I just went, too. it looks like they just went as defensive as they as they really could with the personnel they had uh a player that i've been like pleasantly surprised with is that uh that academy kid kiernan dewsbury hall he he looks like a jack of all trades master of none who can play like any position in midfield or out wide he'll work his ass off for you and just you know uh contribute with good decision making so um and also i need to give a shout out i didn't mention it after uh, the FA Cup game, but Harvey Elliott came back from that like ex- that terrible injury that he had, I think, against uh, Norwich early in the season. He scored a great goal in the FA Cup last week and came on for that that Leicester game with uh, 30 minutes left. He's kind of like the the alternative option to Mo Salah. I thought he was going to be out for the rest of the season, but it looks like he's back in for the remainder yeah, of the season. Good to see for Justin and, and Elliott back, both uh, young. Yeah, Justin's players. another one. He'd been out with like an ACL injury for a while. There's a bunch of young players that are. You know, I've impressed a while ago, but are coming back from injuries right now. So wish them all the best. I want to close up real quick. Uh, do we want to do picks for Leicester West Ham? Yeah, I was going to say 2-2 two, two on that one. I think it'll be a fun one. I'll say 2-1 West Ham. I think they uh, think they manage it. I do want to finish up on this Club World Cup final. Uh, Chelsea and Palmeiras won their uh, semifinal games that we mentioned on the last pod. Uh, they'll meet Saturday morning at 11.30 a.m., for the uh, the championship of the world, Javier. But I got to tell you, uh, even though Chelsea got the win against Al Hilal the other day, it was it was not pretty. Uh, it was only one nil. Kepa had to make a bunch of, uh, or not a bunch, but a couple of 
like world-class saves to to keep it that way and now we're coming into a final that we have only been to once before in our history and we didn't win it last time we lost to corinthians uh, nine years ago uh, i'm a little worried on chelsea's current form against uh, lesser opposition like barely like eking out wins against plymouth argyle in the fa cup last weekend and then that al halal game the other day I- i'm worried that we're going to come up against a a veteran well defensively drilled Palmeiras side who don't have any star names. There's not there's no players in here that I can call out of the Palmeiras lineup and tell you this guy's gonna be the main threat. They just seem like a very good defensive, well drilled team that will, you know, probably hit us on a set piece at some point. And uh it, it's gonna be tough. I could see it even going to penalties and wouldn't be surprised at all if Palmeiras pulled off the upset and, and won this game. All right, Alex hedging for when you know he wins. He's I'm not win. hedging. I, knew he I, I said this on Monday. Come on, man! I said this on Monday. No, no, I, I said know, that I we're we're I... rife for the upset. I'm just getting ahead it's of true. it, you know. It's true. It's true. So no one can say that I, I talk shit and uh, you know. But Lukaku didn't got his Al-Marish. goal, right, Alex? Didn't he score? He got his goal, but uh, frankly, I would have scored that goal. So <laughs> this is true. Uh, hopefully, he, he keeps it up. But Javier, thanks for jumping on this one. If you guys want to follow us on social media, you can follow Javier at JavierRev9 on Twitter, and you can follow me at ASMoss92 on Twitter and Instagram. The podcast socials are at GhostGoldPod for both Twitter and Instagram. And if you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please go ahead and drop a uh, rating. And on Apple Podcasts, if you could drop a review, we'd really appreciate that. Ratings and reviews help new listeners to find the pod. And if you guys listening right now can help us grow this thing a bit more, it would mean the world to us. Right, Javier? That it would. Five-star review. Tell your friends about the pod. Yeah, if you... Yeah, uh, I mean, if, if, if someone, I'm not even asking that much. <laughs> no, no, yeah. If someone if someone you know, you know, is interested in, in, in soccer and you're having a conversation... Tell them about it. Tell them about the Ghost Gold podcast. We're a fun bunch here. Maybe not if they don't like cursing, though. You know, because we <laughs> we're a little bit, we're a little bit, you know, X-rated sometimes. Enjoy the games this weekend, guys. And until next time, see ya.